The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Get ready, Ohio. FanDuel, America's number one sports book, is coming to the Buckeye State. And to kick things off, you can get started with $100 in free bets as an early sign-up bonus. Plus, when you sign up today with promo code OHIOFD, you'll be all set when FanDuel goes live in Ohio. Then you can bet on all your favorite teams in all your favorite sports with $100 in free bets. Just download FanDuel's top-rated sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Ohio, this is your chance to get in on the action. Join today with promo code OHIOFD. Make every moment more with FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NFL. 21 or older and present in Ohio. Bonus issued in non-withdrawable free bets that expire seven days after FanDuel accepts its first real money sports wager in Ohio, one Unique user identity verification required. Offer ends on the go-live date. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Hi, folks. Welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick. We're back for part two of the discussion of the offense with our friend Gabe Ferguson. Gabe, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing well, Ken. Thanks for having me on this uh, end of the season podcast. End of a tough season, obviously. Uh, a little bit of deja vu. We talked about in that first episode. By the way, if you didn't listen to that first episode, let some terrific talk about Huntley. Great back and forth on scheme. About uh, we still have to talk about the future of Greg Roman at some point this time. But there's a lot of stuff. Go back and download that now. It's just easy as as anything. And if if you somehow happen to miss it, and you're just picking up part two. Go back and get part one. But uh, as always, we start off with part two, talking about the offensive line. Oh, no. Before that, we talk about our sponsor and, and say <laughs> thank you, Liquid Death, uh, the water that will brutally murder your thirst for, for sponsoring us. We really appreciate uh, your support, and uh, they've been very good to us, and we hope you'll be good to them and try their product as well. Something you do just to support the show. Let's talk some offensive line. Any high-level kind of thoughts you have before we get started by on a by-player look? Um, you know, I, I've just 
been mostly encouraged by the way, or maybe not encouraged the right way, but impressed. Several times this year, Morgan Moses, I think, has been the, probably the most consistent player. Maybe not most consistent, but most high-level kind of highlight plays on a consistent level. Um, in, the, in the blocking game, he's been a difference maker. He's been very consistent as a pass blocker, too. Uh, and, you know, maybe he hasn't been, like, the top offensive line, but to me, he stood out. And on, like, a, on like a value basis, he's been a great pickup for this team. Yeah, absolutely. Completely agree. And, and uh, you know, honestly, the money the Ravens have spent on the offensive line across the board really paid off in 2022. Uh, Ronnie Stanley not quite playing at the same level. I guess we'll start off with him for this game anyway, and I'll, so I'll just go through briefly. Uh, he was really having a great game until quarter four, and then Hendrickson started to beat him a little bit. Logan Wilson also beat him for for half a sack, but two pressures, a third of a quarterback hit, one sack all in the fourth quarter, Hendrickson, Hendrickson, and Wilson on Hendrickson on both pressures and also the third of a quarterback hit and then Wilson for, for a half sack. Uh, I had four missed blocks. Only two of those were losses at the line of scrimmage. So Stanley, uh, you know, playing pretty darn good football and obviously had control of Hendrickson for three quarters in this game, which was impressive, had eight blocks in level two. That's that is Ronnie Stanley at his best getting into level two and making contributions for you on run plays, one pancake, three to four on pulls and three highlight blocks in this game. So he, he did some, uh, good combination blocking, good, good, good job setting up powers on some plays, and then also creating a second level seal on some of the runs that went to the left side in particular. Uh, B after adjustment for me. Yeah, I think I mean, Stanley had a, overall a very good game. Um, a few, like you said, uh, issues in pass protection later on, and then you know, in the in the first half of the podcast, we 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 mentioned how he missed a, a key block on the mm-hmm. uh, the Mark Andrews screenplay. So some high leverage situations where he maybe didn't quite you know come through, but overall, I think you know he had a, a solid game, and he's someone who you need that from uh, as as your franchise left tackle. Um, getting him back this year has been an integral part of, of why the Ravens have been able to, you know, get to this point in their season and be, and be fairly successful, um, at least in terms of offensive line play. Um, he's been a big part of that. So Ronnie Stanley pre-injury was very clearly to me on a, a ring of honor track. He's a guy who had played extremely well in his first contract already had been all pro in 2019. When he got hurt in 2020, he'd signed the second contract, which is one of the requirements to making the ring of honor is, is you really have to play long enough with mm-hmm. the team to make it worth it and seemed to be completely on track. Then of course the injury occurred really derailed his career for a year and a half. Uh, we lost him. Then uh, you know, he came back really, it was, it was really two years, two full years because he didn't come back to week five this year. Uh, so, so the, a long period off, but then uh, played really well this year and honestly only really had one bad game um, uh, this year. And that's, you know, there's a lot of week to week variation, not quite playing at the same Pro Bowl level we're used to. Part of that is that a lot of his play didn't happen with Lamar Jackson, who's very good about getting him out of some bump situations. We don't need to go over that because we've talked about that a lot of times on the show. But, uh, you know, a guy who I think has the right attitude from what I heard going into this postseason about two things. One is doesn't even want to talk about Lamar's situation. He's like, Lamar's the quarterback. I hope he'll be back. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm kind of paraphrasing what he said, but it gave me a very good feeling about what the players really expect out of getting Lamar Jackson back. And and I hope, you know, the comments by Watkins, I think are born out of frustration to a degree. 
And I think that most of the players, they, they, they know that Lamar is really working hard and they really honestly believe, I think that the organization will do right by him um, and, 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 you know, make their best efforts to make a deal. And I've seen, you know, ridiculous wagering lines on, on this, which, which basically say, if you want to take any other team or basically the field of teams other than the Baltimore Ravens, I, I think it's actually plus 500 on the Ravens being his 2023 team, which seems to me way, way, way out of line. Interesting. I haven't, I haven't seen those numbers at all. Um, mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I have, I have given this a little bit of thought. Um, I tend to think that, you know, Lamar will be a Raven next year. Um, I, I think the contract talk negotiations would have to completely fall apart in mm-hmm. order for that to, um, to go in any other way and, and kind of see if there's, there's no path forward. And then I think a trade might happen, but I, I do think they want to have that long-term extension put in place. And I'm, I'm hopeful that that will actually come to fruition. And and all I'm really saying is that the, the plus 500 is indicating there's, there's plus 500 is actually, I mean, that's, that's five to one odds. Okay. Yeah. So, so you're basically saying there's, there's, there's less than a one in six chance of him being a Raven because the house is built in juice into that wager as well as the, as they have with all of them. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they're probably saying the chance is something like one in seven, one in one in seven and a half that he'll be a Raven to start. That's those, that's absurd. Yeah. I mean, the Ravens are going to work like hell over this next month. The relationship may be somewhat soured, but they're going to, the, the, the Ravens are a wonderful organization for figuring out problems like this and saying, Hey, what do we have to do? And I think they can start this situation by saying, Hey, Lamar, we're working on your next offensive coordinator hire. This has to be the right guy for you in our view. So while we negotiate this contract in complete good faith, we want you to be part of the offensive coordinator decision-making process. Meet this guy. Meet every one of the potential candidates. Uh, if you like, we'll screen them and we'll 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 put the kill switch on guys we, we're not going to hire anyway, and and not waste your time. But on the other hand, if you could be here for you know five straight days of interviews, that'd be great. While we bring in a candidate per day. And, and, and take them through our usual vetting process. I, I would love for that to be part, because I think it'd be one way the Ravens could could rededicate their commitment to Lamar, re-demonstrate re, re, um, um, it to Lamar. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that makes perfect sense. And I, I almost feel like if the Ravens are going to commit to Lamar Jackson in the sense that, you know, they extend him to a, a long-term contract, whether that's, you know, four or five, six years, however long it may be, um, I think it would be honestly a, a bad decision not to have him involved in the process at all. I mean, it doesn't mean he has to be the person who like, you know, is, goes out and finds his guy, but to at least have him feel comfortable and appreciate what this person is bringing to the table and feel like it's a situation where he wants to be in. If it's some, something that he is, you know, opposed to, there, there shouldn't be any choice about it. You know, he, he needs to be someone who has a voice in this conversation right. um, or else you're, you're just alienating, you know, someone who potentially, you know, is, is the, f- the future of your franchise. And that, that to me is a, a very big mistake if they go that way. Right. And, and, uh, you know, you, as, as you go through this process and obviously the offensive coordinator and the Lamar decision have to kind of go in lockstep. They really have to get it resolved over the course of about the next 45 days before the free, the new year begins. Because after that, the Ravens are going to have to slap a franchise tag on Lamar. They're going to have to go through a process that'll be somewhat acrimonious, no matter how you cut it, 
and basically you may see your coworkers cracking open a can in your 9 a.m. stand-up meeting, but it's most likely not beer. It's a new mountain spring water called Liquid Death. You've heard me talk about this many times. Why is it called Liquid Death? Well, because it'll brutally murder your thirst. Plus, its infinitely recyclable tall boy cans are helping to be a, bring a death to plastic bottles. Did you know plastic's not even really recyclable anymore? It ends up just going to a landfill because it's not profitable to recycle. Meanwhile, aluminum is recyclable and profitable for recycling facilities. You guys know how much I love Liquid Death. It's in everything I do. I take it to work. I take it to the ball club. I take it when I'm out with the kids. I got them right here on my can on my desk because I'm recording a podcast. I'm always with it. What's cool now is I'm seeing you guys on Twitter talk about how you're grabbing your cans and going to work. So send me those stories about what you're doing and how you're cracking open a tall boy in odd situations because, hey, it's water. And not only is it water, it's the best water that you can go out there and buy. It's cold. You can drink it with whatever you're doing. So going out there, get Liquid Death at your local Harris Teeter or 7-Eleven or find a Liquid Death retailer near you with their store locator tool by going to liquiddeath.com slash film study. That's liquiddeath.com slash film study. Without saying so, offering Lamar Jackson up for trade. And that will be a very difficult process because it sounds like once you kind of go down that road, then the player's kind of already determined he's gone and he's already, you know, mentally packing his bags. You don't want that. What I do know is that Lamar will use this offseason well for the combination of rehab and the kind of offseason work he has had with a quarterback because he's just he's been in the North Star on the Ravens for for making sure that uh, his time is really spent on football during the offseason. Yeah, absolutely. I've, I've no doubt that he's really going to dedicate himself to the craft um he's he's shown that every year i mean he's made improvements even even if statistically we, you haven't seen that i think as a pastor as someone in, in the in the pocket i think we've seen him steadily improve um and i i think you know there's been some just unfortunate circumstances in his career so far whether it's you know the injuries the past two years um some of the injuries to other players in, in mm -hmm. years before that um in that he has never really had the opportunity to have all of the kind of stars align around him offensively, you know, outside of that 2019 season where everything seemed to go perfectly. Um, ever, ever since then, there's been significant, you know, issues in one place or another. And, you know, I feel like there's still probably, I know within the Ravens organization, a burning desire to get back to that place where everything kind of like clicks. Yeah. I, 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 it's not like that. I don't, I don't disagree with what you said very much would love to get back to the 2019 offense, but two, two points about this. One is it ain't going to happen. That was a historic offense yeah. at an unbelievably historically cheap cap. And it had some star players on it on the offensive line in particular with Yonda Orlando Brown and, and Ronnie Stanley pre-injury all playing together and playing at a very high level that, that made it special indeed for, for, for that offense they had a weak set of wide receivers they had a good set of running backs they had a good set of tight ends and, and including Hurst and Andrews both on that team it's it, putting putting that offense together again it would take another super draft out of out of uh DeCosta. and he had a, another very good one last year but I think it's unlikely that you'll ever see that again as a Ravens fan so now setting that aside the Ravens offense for with Lamar here 
during 2022 was actually very good. I mean, it's one of the top offenses in the league. His mm-hmm. offense was depressed around the league. Everybody was having their problems. The good quarterbacks were having problems like, like uh, Josh Allen was throwing a bunch of interceptions, uh, for example. I mean, the, the, the points per play and the DeVoa the Ravens were putting up were still very high, and the, they certainly did enough offensively in the, in the, with the Lamar offense to win enough the whole year, but also to, to, to be a championship caliber team with the end of year defense they had. Yeah. And, and just to add on to that, I mean, if you look at kind of the order of events in which things happened this year, the beginning of the year, they didn't have the running backs. Edwards and Dobbins, neither one of them were available at the beginning of the year. They didn't have Ronnie Stanley available at the beginning of the mm-hmm. year. And then as soon as you get Stanley back and you get the running backs back, then Bateman gets hurt. Um, You had Andrews miss some time earlier in the year or middle of the year. Um, You know, Devin DuVernay gets hurt. And it's just, you know, one thing after another. And it was just kind of like, you know, one, and then obviously Lamar Jackson injury. So like, it just, it wasn't, it was kind of just like this, it wasn't quite as bad as it seemed in 2021 um, based off of the, all the injuries happening at the same time. But, you know, there was a consistent buildup of injuries and you never really got the full offense as it was expected and hoped to be this, this entire season. And even with that, when Lamar Jackson was healthy and when he had his, all his, at least wide receivers available to him, it was a very potent offense. Yeah. A potent offense, even with some really second rate backs with Kenyon Drake, you know, and, and I mean, Mike Davis being the lead back for the opening day, that's just, you know, unbelievable. I, I hope that that at least has been broken. The the Ravens' fascination with geriatric backs, I, I hope, has been <laughs> has been broken by this uh, this season and the last one with Murray and Freeman and whatnot. So, uh, they, they obviously they, they the problem is they they've gotten by just enough uh, to do that. But but the Ravens' scrap heap strategy has generally been very good in terms of finding guys in year one like Collins when they when they got him. Uh, who, who were you know languishing on somebody else's practice squad and 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 uh, anyway I hope they go back to that. I, I, I've taken us a little off track here, and I want to get back to the t- talking about the offensive line play because we get into you know all these futures now we're we're, we're talking about. But let's let's uh, move on to Ben Powers, who finished the season, played every single snap, um, allowed half a pressure, half a quarterback hit, half a sack in this game. That was Reader, Reader, and Hill who got him for the pressure, quarterback hit, and half sack. Um, six missed blocks, three were losses at the line of scrimmage, so not too bad there. One block in level two, one pancake, four out of six on poles. No highlights as I scored it in this game. Um, very cool thing this week came out. A picture, I think it was on his Instagram, but I, mm-hmm. I saw I ended up seeing it on a Twitter, of a cinder block that he won for being the best Ravens lineman in the most games. So each each week, they would write on the cinder block the date and the opponent, I think, and who was the best um, lineman that week. And then that per, that player got to keep the, the the cinder block for that week. And at the end of the year, Powers got to keep the cinder block because he was the most times uh, during the year the best Ravens offensive lineman. And that that uh, uh, fascinating to me and 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 very reasonable. I know Linderbaum's gotten all the love this year in terms of being a you know a, a, a star rookie lineman, and he's been I mean he's he's been good. He's on a great track, but Powers has outplayed him by a lot. And in fact. Power slightly outplayed Zeitler as I scored it this year, which is really something. It did end up, by the way, I don't know if you saw this. Powers ended up getting a first place all pro vote. Really? Yes. And and I, I I'm trying to figure out who gave it to him. Uh somebody somebody told me and they said this guy must be reading your column or whatever. <laughs> so, uh, but anyways, it's good to see. I hope it was a Baltimore guy. But if it was somebody from another city, it's even even that more there's 50 of those to hand out. Each each writer gets one. Yeah. So you know he he got it over all the other potential you know toonies and 
and uh, you know other other players in the league who could have gotten it, and and uh, that's that's very impressive. He did have a very good year. Um, Zeitler still got no first or second place votes, and and, and Powers didn't get any second place votes. That's interesting. But, yeah. I, I mean, I, I I saw the cinder block thing. I, I didn't see the the all pro vote. Um, I I do agree with you. I mean, he's had a very solid season. Um, I, I think we might have talked about him the last time I was on, and and we discussed you know his future outlook, and it seems you know unlikely um that he would you know return to baltimore unless he kind of is willing to take probably an undervalued contract um and you know with you know the Rokon smith signing for instance it seems even less likely now that um he would have an opportunity to come back here but you know good for him for having you know this really breakout performance in his in the contract year um he kind of just been you know a serviceable ba- serviceable backup who'd made some spot starts for the ravens prior to the season i think a lot of us thought he would either be released or traded um and then he ended up winning out in, in camp and, and really showing that he belongs as as a you know a high level starter in the NFL. Um, probably probably a little bit better as a pass protector this year than run blocker, but mm-hmm. um, overall, I mean, maybe this game notwithstanding, but he has you know done very well in, in that area, and and I'm glad that he's able to you know have the opportunity and, and take the advantage of it and and just really demonstrate that he is a, a quality player in the league. Yeah, absolutely. And being the most important ability is availability. He was there the entire season. Yep. He only was penalized once the entire season. One holding call where, you know, it, it's he was one of the least penalized guards in the entire year, though. I believe Zach Martin might have had a few more snaps and only one penalty. And there was a few guys in like the six to seven hundred snap range who had no penalties. But most guards, you know, that play his number of snaps have five, six penalties on the year. And uh it is 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 really outstanding. I I had a Interview with him about a month ago, I'm going to say, and and he was really upset about that penalty which happened in the Jacksonville game. He's like, oh, those we know those refs would call holding penalties, but you know this was a case where he flailed his arms and he got outside, and you know it's just one of those things. And by the way, you want to listen to a guy really explain offensive line play well. The particulars in that interview just excellent. You know, talking about where he keeps his focus of his eyes on the right number at the top of it, so he doesn't like fall prey, uh, prey to all the wiggling wiggle waggle that the, that the defensive lineman is giving. Otherwise, just extremely articulate about his uh, about his methodology. Very nice guy. A little bit shy, probably. I, I would say, but did a very good job when you got started getting talking in a particular offensive line play about what was going on so i think it's, it's a great listen if you want to go back and hear it and you have it yeah and, and one last note about uh, ben powers um if you, if you like a uh, pro football focus grades you know he graded out as you know the second best pass protecting mm-hmm. off- offensive guard in, in all of the nfl this year so really impressive um by him and you know probably still some room to improve in other aspects of the of the game um but definitely on on the road to, you know, being a really, really good player. One thing about the PFF grades, I always want to make sure people do. And by the way, they are the best source. In fact, they're the only real source I noticed, I know of looking at grading between players, but for offensive line in particular and center and guard more than any other positions, make sure you look at that pass blocking and run blocking grade separately and don't combine them the way PFF does it. PFF very, very heavily weights the run grade at both positions I believe it's a matter of trying to create more variation of scoring from top to bottom. So, for instance, centers, which have a very low pass blocking con- or context, can still be beaten all the time, beaten like a drum if 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 they're attacked. But they but they have a very low weighting of the pass and run blocking scores. 
which which overvalues a good run blocker relative to a good pass blocker. At guard, it's even more pronounced. Not PFF doesn't have a more pronounced weighting. They have they actually have more pass blocking um, in in their weighting, but they still don't have enough, in my opinion. And and they've also been very underweight on penalties, which is another place where. Uh, where, where PFF is very light and I'm much heavier. And, and when we differ on grades, like if there's a holding penalty in a game, there's no way a guy can score an A anymore if he's got a holding penalty. It's, it's too significant a play. So, uh, uh, you know, that'll often come up and somebody have a fantastic score and it's just like, okay. If you're, if you're saying that the most he can have is a minus two for his, for his uh, um, holding call that he had that, that, that stalled a drive, but he can make a bunch of plus two drives, each of which added five yards. You're not weighting those two things properly in, in, in my book. It's just, it's a, it's a, it's a weighting issue. And I, I think that, that uh, I, I'd be interested to dig into the math more with PFF at some future date. I'm trying to find the right person um, to do that with B minus for powers anyway, after adjustment for, for this game and a great season. Good luck to him as, as you said, Gabe, and hopefully he'll learn the Ravens a comp pick if nothing else. Yeah. Your go-to place for wild card round action is DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. To kick off the road to Super Bowl 57, new customers can bet just $5 and get 200 in free bets instantly. Plus, all new and existing customers can get a no-sweat bet each day of the wild card round this weekend. Just place any NFL bet of your choice, and if it loses, you'll get a free bet back up to $10. Download the DraftKings Sportsback app and use the code FILM. New customers can bet $5 on the NFL and get 200 in free bets instantly. Only at DraftKings Sportsback with the code FILM. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER. 21 plus. Physically present in Maryland. Bonus, bonus issued as free bets. One free bet issued based on amount of initial losing NFL bet up to $10. Eligibility, wagering, and deposit restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash MD for full terms and conditions. All right. Ready to move on to Linderbaum? Yeah, let's do do Linderbaum. All right. So one of the first times all season snaps were an issue in this game for Linderbaum. And you made the point in the first show that the, the snap that got over Huntley's head was probably one that under ideal circumstances, a quarterback might've tipped it to himself, you know, mm-hmm. gone up high, maybe even, maybe even made the catch directly, but it wasn't a good snap. It was, it was, yeah. and it unbelievably led to a good play <laughs> that, that uh, was kind of cool, but he did have two full pressures. One of which was that snap, by the way. So normally my, my technique would be if that pass had gone incomplete, um, and I might've just ruled that, well, I could have still ruled it as a pressure in this particular case, but if the, if the, if the ball had been recovered by the other team, I would have taken away his entire, um, subjective adjustment for it, for the game. Uh, if in this case, I ruled him with a pressure on the play, uh, Huntley got the ball off and, and, uh, and did some positive things, but it means I didn't have to, I didn't have to somehow find a way to adjudicate it differently. Uh, he did give up a half share of a quarterback hit as well, and a third of a share of another quarterback hit. So if you if you see this and you see he had five sixths of a quarterback hit in that game, that's how that happens: a half plus a third. It's not <laughs> it's not like I'm some idiot who who's who's uh, miscounting these things or or is uh, I don't know maybe maybe uh, anyway that's that's how it happens that you get five six. He had six missed blocks in the game; five were losses to the line of scrimmage. Consistent problem for him most of the year. When he's blocked, when he's had really good games, he's had less losses at the line of scrimmage, 
most games. He's had a fair number of losses at the line of scrimmage. Still cases where he's getting off balance. He's getting outsized. He's getting shed at the line of scrimmage, but it doesn't really show up because the ball is out quickly. So a lot of times, most of the time, I would say they're pass plays. It does happen on run plays too. And in fact, one one thing that's happened a fair amount for Linderbaum this year is on, on short yardage run plays, he seems to be scooched through the line or shed through the line a fair amount. Like he's not able to stick on his block when you know they're in these heavy push rugby scrum situations. But but you know like a, a larger player or a reader or a K word or whatever can just throw him throw him to one side and it's through the line. All of a sudden he's the first man through and you think well that's somebody for him to run over. Well it's not. It's <laughs> that that uh, line's been closed up again there. Uh, two out of three on pulls in this game. One block in level two. Two pancakes. Zero highlights. Uh, don't think I have anything else to say. A C minus for the game for Linderbaum. Uh, let's talk a little bit about his aggregate rookie season. First of all, anything for the game? Any other comments from the game that you want? I mean, so I think I mentioned in, in the previous half of the podcast that there was a play on, on zone that he just kind of got completely blown off the ball. Um, that, that and there was another play. It was it was a goal line run that he he got easily defeated at the line of scrimmage and and those are just you know situations where especially the goal line where you really need to win um or else you're turning a potential you know scoring play into uh, sometimes a, a loss or or at least um a non-scoring play so i you know he's he does have some limitations we talked about that size length um and he's gonna have to overcome them but there's definitely upside with him as well so I'm I'm excited to see him, you know, take a year of of strength training, of maybe technique training, and seeing where he can go in in the next next season. Yeah, and and it's easy to see why in a goal line situation he'd be at the most difficult circumstances mm-hmm. because the the opponents have four down linemen very frequently and they're playing three one one three in terms of their yep. tech. So normally you 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 know in a four man front you have you have four techs between each one you, we, we talk about the classic one three five text you play a one and a five on one side you play a three on the other side which are separated each by four spots so to speak four texts if you want to call it that um but but when you know when it's in goal line it's down to two it's very tightly compressed and he's got a man over each shoulder and he has to defeat one of them and that's just very difficult for an undersized offensive lineman to do uh again so you know one of the largest linemen you're going to face on that line of scrimmage is going to be the guy who's who's over one of your two shoulders. Yeah, and this game was, was a tough matchup for both him and Powers. You know, it was a lot of DJ Reader. I think BJ Hill is, mm-hmm. is that the yeah, BJ Hill? Other, yeah, yeah, the, the the nose um, slash uh, three technique. Yep. Um, who's going to and 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 both of them I thought played really well in this game. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know there were some wins on both sides. You know the Ravens had. The Ravens offensive lineman had had some good plays as well, but you know I thought the Bengals defensive tackles had had a very good game in, in this one, and that was um, it's a tough matchup. It's going to happen sometimes. So we've had Sarah Ellison on the show, and one of the things she wanted to know is Ken, how much of what we've seen from Linderbaum this year is not necessarily correctable, and how much can we kind of put into the normal pattern of improvement of offensive linemen that we've seen from Ravens and Linderbaum. Is playing an entire season, all but two snaps in his first year. That's fantastic to start with. He's played at, I think, a C-plus level on in aggregate for the year. That's darn good for a for a you know your first year in the league. Um, and there's a lot of learning to go on. There's a lot of strength building. There's also a lot of figuring out what will work at the NFL level that didn't that 
uh, among the things that worked in college when you, you were a, a distinctly better athlete than most of the people across from you. Now you're, you know, you're playing against people of all age, people with a lot of experience defeating smaller centers, defeating centers of various types, you know, what's still going to work, but give me your thoughts on that in terms of uh, is Lindebaum certainly came to the NFL fairly polished, but is, but is he a player you expect a lot of improvement for or some improvement from? I mean, I don't think there is room for a lot of improvement. I, th- I think, you know, some of the things we talked about, whether it's in pass protection against a, it's a larger, you know, opponent, a stronger opponent, a bigger opponent, um, that that's something that is always going to be difficult physically. Um, I think, you know, there are probably some ways that you can improve from a technique wise, maybe being a little bit more aggressive in how you, you strike um, things like that, that you can maybe set the tone a little bit more instead of being letting the defender into you maybe being more aggressive in that if i was you know someone on the ravens or if he has somebody who he's working with i would tell him to you know study jason kelsey undersized center who's had an incredible career and and you know he hasn't let those you know physical deficits defeat him or hold him back and he has Sometimes, yeah, he will get beat by a larger player. You know that that happens, but he's figured out a way in order to to hold his own over a decade plus of playing at all pro Pro Bowl level. So I think that's you know the first thing that I would, if I was Tyler Linderbaum, and be like, that's that's who you need to model your game after. Yeah, I, I think in terms of of studying other offensive linemen, I think that's a great one. Marshall Yonda might be another in terms of a guy who had you know somewhat shorter arms, but he's not quite as as in deficit, there's also players on the defensive line and, and, you know, the Ravens had Kelly Gregg who might've had even shorter arms than Linderbaum, but, but would be a guy who, who, if you look at his hand play, what's he trying to accomplish? Uh, you know, it's, it's, there have been plenty of other centers though, who've, you know, been okay in this league or in Kelsey's case, very good, um, with, uh, with shorter arms. So I think it's possible that, that, that he can, he can take a step forward. He's in the right place of having no danger of losing his job over his level of play, that he's going to have a good chance for improvement. And the other guys that the Ravens have had have all been, that have been draft picks who started out at a reasonable level. Most of them were guys who were kind of on the verge of starting or not. John Urschel, he was better as a rookie than he was. I think he lost some of his zeal for the game too, but, but he, but, but, you know, I, I, that'd be a guy, Lewis, Alex Lewis, a guy who they kind of moved around in terms of positions, Tyree Phillips, you know, a bigger guy, but a guy who, who uh, it, it never really clicked. Michael Orr is the, is the classic guy whose career was a ski slope from his first year, which was his best and then moved changing positions. And, and, I don't. I, I I couldn't really tell you what else was wrong in Michael Orr's head. I just know on the field it didn't really work out for him after that first year when he really looked like he was headed for a, potentially a Hall of Fame career at right tackle. Yeah, it's. Um, I mean, that was also a change of position with with, mm-hmm. with uh, Michael Orr. So I, I don't think Linderbaum's going to have to worry about that. You know, he's <laughs> going to be the Raven starting center for the next five years. You know, unless something wild happens. So. Um, I, I think, you know, you need to, you know, I think there were some, there are a few snap issues, I think, over the course of the season. That's mm-hmm. something that can definitely be improved. I think that's something that you could get to one or zero over the course of the season. That's, I think that's definitely one area where there is a clear path towards towards getting better. I, I, I 
I, you know, obviously he, it's not like a couple snaps didn't go wrong. And, and in this game, we didn't see a bad snap, but his snaps for the year were so much above Bozeman from last year. Yeah. And Bozeman was, was trying to be more accurate. And he did a pretty good job of, of getting it to the general area of the quarterback, but it was high, low. It was, it was it, his strike zone variation was, was a lot. And Lamar, when you have to reach down to your knees to get the ball, you don't have the same kind of vision. Much more bullets being delivered by Linderbaum. I thought, you know, that's an area we, he really needs to get all the credit he deserves about uh, about what he did in the run game. You know, the things he did to finish blocks in level two, to get to level two, to get on bodies. I, I'm not a hundred percent a fan of how he set up the guy next to him for blocks. I think there, there was there's improvement to be made there, but I think there were in most ways in the run games he was just so outstanding. It's really hard hard to find fault with him. It's just the darn pass game and just the times when other players have a chance to get extension against him that he, that he hasn't really looked that good. And, you know, hopefully, you know, he'll, he will follow a normal pattern of growth and not one for, you know, people missing positions. All right. We ready to move on. Yep. Let's talk some, let's talk uh, Zeitler uh, having a fantastic game. Uh, the lady only had two missed blocks the whole game, but a late holding penalty was really the kick of the killer. So what would have been a third and six in the last 30 seconds became second and 20. And all of a sudden the Ravens are completely out of their element. And uh, in fact, through three incomplete passes from that point till the end of the game, uh, as, as they really didn't have the time to, to do anything else. No negative plays aside from that holding call. He had two missed blocks, one of which was a loss at the line of scrimmage. Five out of five on pulls, four blocks in level two, two pancakes, four highlights. I mean, that's a, that's a Pro Bowl level game if you can avoid that holding penalty. But it's a B plus with a holding penalty because you just you, you can't. Uh, it's it, it's it's too many lost points. It's a minus six for the for the holding call, and in this case, it was completely justified. Unfortunately, uh, there's, there's no there's no mitigating circumstance for it, other than it was a little bit of ticky tack call, which we talked about. Yeah, it's it's really unfortunate, and for it to happen in that in that situation. Um, I, I mean, I know you said like you you can't give an A grade to someone who didn't who had that type of, of negative play, and I think that's fair. Um, but you know, Zeitler's been such a good player for the Ravens. Um, you know, they they found him um, in free agency. He was let go by the Giants, and they they basically moved right away. And they're like, this is the mm-hmm. guy that we need because we we need that veteran presence on the interior of our, of our line. And he's he's been a, a very good player for the Ravens in day one. Um, going into his last year of his contract, I I hope that he comes back. You know, it's, it is a decent-sized cap hit that he's going to have, but I think he's played at that level. So I think it's worth keeping him, in my opinion. I mean, I, I, I the Ravens 100% certainly will want to keep him. It's a matter of whether Zeitler says – I've had enough of the NFL at this yeah. point. I mean, it'd be his 12th season. Uh, he'll be, I think, 34 years old next year, maybe only 33, but it's, it's in, it's in that range. Um, you know, the guy still can't make a pro bowl despite having a, a, a fantastic career. Yeah. And he's, he's probably one of the best guards ever to play in the league who never made a pro bowl. And that maybe I'm overstating that because in the 1960s, nobody knew anything about this, but <laughs> definitely I'll say this of the PFF era. He's, he's probably the best guard to never make a pro bowl uh, that there is. And I, I, it's just shocking to me. Yeah. I mean, it is, it is interesting too, because he's, he's moved from, um, you know, a, a market that's pretty small because he, he literally started his career, um, with the Bengals, correct? Um, I think that's where yes. he was. Um, and then moved Bengals, to Giants, Browns, Ravens. Yeah. So, um, he's, you know, he's been a player who's been around for a while and I think gotten some acknowledgement as being a high level player. He got a big contract when he, when he left. Cincinnati 
um, and that that didn't you know turn into any type of pro ball recognition. So, um, you know, with and you mentioned the PFF era, you know, they I think they do a fairly good job of you know elevating the, the stature of some offensive linemen who might oh, yeah. not potentially get those accolades because you know they're very keen to say like, how good these players are and what, how important role they play in the offense. So, I think that's something that they have definitely helped. Um, but you know. Maybe he's he's just been the odd man out. I'm, I'm not I'm not sure why, but you know I thought this year along with Powers they both played at a Pro Bowl level in my opinion. Guard is one of the positions where I think the the guards tend to go to their Pro Bowls more. Quarterback, you know, you get down to the six mm-hmm. alternate. Then we have Tyrod Taylor was the guy who Tyrod <laughs> Taylor went to the Pro Bowl one year as the sixth alternate. I think so. Quarterbacks don't want to go. If you're a guard, it's a, it's an important symbol of recognition. You want the badge of honor, blah, 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 blah. But you know, it, you're less likely to miss it. But I still would have thought between the combination of the guards playing for championship teams who are who are there at the end of the year, injuries that happen, naturally the slightly would have been the third or fourth best guard in the league some year and gone. Uh it just it's it, it, it all has to be all he has to be is third or fourth best in the conference and have any of that happen, and he's good to go. And that, it's just it's it's shocking to me that he that he never made it. Really honestly quite unreasonable that he's got that. But I think anyway, they, I, I made the point online. I thought people understood what I meant today, that it's it's clearly Zeitler's choice to come back or not. The Ravens are going to want him. The Ravens won't cut him to make cap space. It, it's it's a it's a matter of whether or not the uh, Zeitler wants to come back for that third year of his contract. Yeah, I, I think that does make sense. Um, he's, I mean, I'm, it's not like he's had a lot of nagging injuries, I don't think. He's not been like overly banged up over the course of his career. So, um, I mean, I know it's a very physical position to play, obviously. So I'm sure there's a lot of smaller type, you know, playing hurt throughout the course of the season. But um, I think that, you know, maybe it, it could depend on some of the other things that happen. You know, is Lamar Jackson coming back? That mm-hmm. might influence him. Like, yeah, it, you have Lamar, then you have a chance to go to the Super Bowl. So if you don't, it might be a, a bit of a rebuilding year and there might not be as much interest in, in coming back for that instance. I didn't realize how extreme this is. He missed two games this year and he's only missed 10 total career games in 11 seasons. So that's really remarkable. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and the two, the, the other times he missed games, he missed four games in his second and third season. So uh, remarkable, healthy career. And, uh, and certainly the Ravens won back. He's been the rock and, and one of the really good free agent signings of the DaCosta era. There've been several, you know, real bargain players, but he's one of the ones they paid a lot of, you know, a, a relatively more substantial contract to. Those contracts rarely go all the way to fruition. Mm-hmm. And in his case, the Ravens will, will, will love that to be the case. Let's move on and talk a little bit about Morgan Moses here real quickly. Uh, a good finale. Um, it was versus Hubbard most of the game. Hubbard obviously had the big play. He was kept mostly off the board by Moses. He only allowed one pressure event. That was actually to B.J. Hill. Uh, that was his only negative play. Six missed blocks, two of which were losses at the line of scrimmage. Five blocks in level two, which has been a big thing about Moses this year, is that mobility has been way better than I expected it. I see you nodding your head there. No pancakes in this one, but seven out of ten on poles. Uh, another case where Moses has just done very well is, is, is being effective. Not only just running his track because he'll get it if he is he's always a trailing guy in a pulling situation or almost always because uh, he'll pull to the left side and follow the guard or the center. So when he's doing that, um, he'll get a courtesy point if there's no one to block. He runs his track. He doesn't get in the way. But most of the time, he's he's making a devastating block as the second man through on that side. Two highlights in this game. Uh, one nice combo. He drove B.J. Hill and finished him with a pancake. 
Um, B after adjustment in this game. I'm sorry, I didn't finish it with a pancake. Just finished it with a push. Uh, B after adjustment in this game. A big improvement from the D last week, and, and it's the same opponent. So yep. it's real nice for him to come back and, and play so well against Hubbard. Yeah, I think um, he he has had a few like nicks here and there throughout the season. You know, we've seen him come out for like maybe a series or a few a few snaps at time here and there. Um, this game, not excluded. You know, he came out. I think he had a was it he got hit in the back, maybe like, like a helmet to the kidney or something like that, where he had to come out for a, a few um, snaps. So, but for the most part, you know, he's been able to stick it out and and play through some of the the nicks um, and. Like I mentioned earlier, he's been one of the more fun players for me to watch. I, I love kind of his, he has some antics sometimes on the field. You know, mm-hmm. he has a little personality out there, which is fun to watch. Um, obviously, you mentioned, you know, those pools where some of, some of the ways he can just completely clear out, uh, you know, a, a second level defender. Um, and I mean, he'll knock a, a defensive back down as well. So, you know, he's just been a lot of fun for me to watch. And, and you, you mentioned Zeitler as, as a really good you know, free agent addition. I think, I think, you know, Moses is, is right up there as, as another very quality addition that the Ravens really needed uh, this year at, at the right tackle position. Yeah, I could completely agree. He's been, he's been a high value player and, uh, and it, it hasn't been a completely smooth season for him as I've scored it, but in, in his overall performance, very high level. And, and uh, uh, you know, it, it's, it's great that the Ravens can go out and get a tackle like that at that kind of price where, they, you know, had such problems last year and, you know, they got AV and it, AV cost them more money. Yep. And I know the AV was going to be a combination, a guy who could fill in on the left side. We quickly found out that was not a good, a good plan. Uh, but anyway, they, they, they went out and they got Moses and there's never been any question about Moses playing on the left side. He was never, he was never a guy they considered for that. They put Falalele over there before him. They put James, they put McCary, they, Literally tried everybody else that they have on the roster before they went to Moses, and they they uh, they kept him at right tackle, and it's, that's really worked out for them, I think. Yeah, you know, I think there was definitely a lot of kind of off season um, conjecture about who might be that that left tackle. If if you know, I, I mean, first we thought maybe you know Stanley will be back, but then it became apparent that he wouldn't be back, and James was taking all the snaps. Who would be the backup? Uh, would, would they swing over? Well. It turned out that they just wanted to keep Moses at the right side, let him stick to the one position. He's good there. Keep him there. I think that definitely worked out. Um, and, you know, I, I would imagine that he's going to come back next year. I mean, they still have him under contract. I think it's a reasonable deal as well, similar to what we talked about with Zeitler. Um, so I think, you know, as long as if they have both those two veterans on the right side, I think they're going to be very happy with that. Yeah. And, and they've been, they've generally been guys who've stayed healthy and, and uh, they've got, actually got Moses, I think for a three-year deal. So he's I think still so, yeah. Two more years. So Zeitler would be a question maybe of an extension, but uh, but with Moses, they, they don't need to extend yet. That's for that's for certain. With uh, the other three line I just mentioned briefly, McCary came in six snaps, made all his blocks. So he did a good job. He played some six-man line. He had three three block, three block plays where he replaced Moses at right tackle. Falele in for three snaps, all as a sixth or seventh offensive lineman, including the first of the year that they used with seven offensive linemen on that fateful play. Uh, Cleveland, three snaps in relief of Zeitler. Uh, made two blocks uh, and also picked up a shared pressure on a failed stunt pickup. So unfortunate for Cleveland, lost year for him. He's a guy who figures very prominently in the left guard um, competition for next year. I don't mm-hmm. think the Ravens are going to go with a high round draft pick. So I would think that, that Cleveland is probably the uh, most likely guy to take him. And I hope they're having that conversation right now in terms of how he gets ready for it. 
Yeah, I, th- I think he needs to take this offseason very seriously. And, uh, you know, I think there's been talk about how last offseason was handled, you know, t- timing of a wedding potentially could have been better. Um, not being ready for camp, obviously, set him back. Then there were some injuries, I think a concussion um, at, w- at one point. So, you know, he he's had some flashes of, of potential, um, some issues as well. So, you know, we talked about Powers, someone who improved, you know, a lot of Ravens offensive linemen have improved. Maybe there's an opportunity for, for Cleveland to come in, in in his third year, really take that step to becoming someone that the Ravens can count on as, as an every down starter. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he's, he's shown outstanding push at times this year and I'm really looking forward to it. And and I agree with you completely about this is, this is the off season he needs to invest in himself. And I think if he's got married last year, they may, may already be talking about trying to have kids now, trying to move forward with that portion of his life. But this is the time, man, it's all on the line for him in terms of the, the, the chance of him getting a second contract or not in the NFL will largely rest on what happens in his third season and, and, and his fourth season as well. But in his third season, he's going to really earn the opportunity to play enough to earn a big second contract if he, uh, if he plays well. And so I, I hope his family understands. I hope he understands more importantly that, that this is an absolutely critical positional skills off season for. Yeah. And with him, I think I'd also like to see him potentially work on his body a little bit. Um, try to get a little more flexible, um, a little bit more agile. Um, he's big and strong, but I think he's missing a little bit of that quickness, lateral agility that could really make him play at, at another level. Great point. Cause you know, he came out of the, the combine with linear speed numbers that would tell you he's a better athlete than say Bradley Bozeman, who became a very good puller. And it's one of the things the Ravens are going to demand out of him at guard is the ability to get out of there. And so far he really looks like Frankenstein moving mm-hmm. around, you know, get, getting out of his stance, making his first move to the right footwork is, is just not clean. Yep. Uh, he's at risk of getting, you know, backed into on plays where you have to be a little bit nimble because of who Linderbaum is. So you got to be careful of, of, you know, not getting your feet tangled. And that's just, that's not, I, I, I'm not sure that's going to be his specialty um, in, in Cleveland's case. Uh, you know, at, when he was first drafted, my thought was he could probably adapt to playing right tackle if the Ravens needed him there. Um, I don't think that anymore. I, you know, I just, I, I don't, I don't yeah. think that's a reasonable choice. Yeah. I don't, I don't think he has, has the feet to play tackle if that's for sure. Well, let's move on and talk about some skill position players here because there's not a lot to talk about, frankly, from, from this game, but there is some. And you're the guest. Who would you like to talk about first? Um, you know, let's let's go with um whew, let's go let's go with Robinson, uh Demarcus. You know, he, he's someone Ravens picked up end of training camp, um, came in, had an amazing preseason game. Um, I think like 150 <laughs> yards, a couple touchdowns. Like, is this a guy that can be a valuable piece of the offense. Well, yes and no. I, I mean, he's been an important part of the offense as being one of the only, you know, healthy wide receivers that they've had all year. Um, basically started the season as their wide receiver three, eventually because of injuries became their wide receiver one. Um, some issues with hands over the course of the season, but also, you know, someone who was able to make plays for them at, at times when they needed it. So someone that I don't know if, if there's a chance he comes back to Baltimore or not, Probably not, I would guess, unless, you know, he's very clearly seen as like a wide receiver kind of four situation. I'm not sure what his market would be, but um, I think the Ravens need to improve at that at that position. And, you know, as a depth player, he, I think he's OK, but I think you need to be better than than what his overall performance was, especially given the 
amount of opportunity and snaps that he saw over the course of the season. Yeah, he did have a lot of opportunity and, and, you know, yards per target are the most important statistic for a, a wide receiver or any receiver uh, for that matter. He had 75 targets this year. You know, it's hard to, hard to believe he had 48 catches this year. So obviously he did become immediately a pretty significant player for the Ravens played every game. That's nice. But the the yards per target 6.1. I mean, that's just not acceptable for a receiver. It's the lowest of his career. He was at only 6.4 last year at Kansas City. We thought he, you know, he probably would do better than that this year. The other thing we didn't see out of Robinson this year, which is a little unfortunate, was we didn't see a lot of jets, jet sweeps. Hmm. And he had done more of that when he was with Kansas City. Yeah, I mean, that, obviously, Devin DuVernay was involved pretty heavily in that department when he was healthy. And then for some reason that became the Andy Isabella role. Um, <laughs> there was no thoughts of putting DuVernay in that position. I'm not sure if they wanted him to be a blocker instead or, 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 or what. Um, but I, I don't know. Maybe they just didn't think he was suited for that in this offense. Yeah, actually, I've got to retract that statement right away before somebody calls me on it. And they will, by the way. Pre- really appreciate who you guys are as listeners because you're the most loyal and and very astute listeners, but you'll catch me on this right now. He had zero career rushes with Kansas huh. City. So I guess those were going to Tyreek Hill when he was there and they're going to Duvernay here. But or Michael, uh, Michael Hardman was also pretty involved in those, I think. He, he could be the one that I'm mistaking for Robinson. Mm-hmm. That's more reasonable. But uh, but anyway, uh, I, I, I don't want to get that wrong for folks and and uh, and have people upset with me. So let's make sure we, we correct it. Uh, I want to talk about James Prochet a little bit here. This has been a lost season for him. In just any any way you can think about it. And obviously the end of that game, if he had grabbed that football, how everything would have changed for him, for him more than anybody. The Ravens would have been going to Kansas City this week. I'd still be packing my cold weather gear and we'd be trying to figure out, you know, another funeral dirge of a flight <laughs> to go out there <laughs> with a, you know, Tyler Huntley starting another game against Kansas City, which probably wouldn't go well. But you know, for for James Prochet. Catching that ball would have meant everything. He was very close. And if he hauls that in, uh, all of a sudden he's got a part of Ravens history that's, that's significant. And maybe he even, even leverages that into a bigger opportunity next year. Yeah, it's really interesting because, you know, he's been somewhat hyped up starting last offseason in, in training camp. And this offseason in particular, as someone who is going to be a real part of the offense in, in this. And then that just, didn't happen um immediately when demarcus robinson was was signed he came in and, and took the snaps away from that we thought might be james Rochet snaps uh the ravens barely used 11 personnel this year um you know we've talked a lot about how heavy they were um so that could have just been you know the way things shifted in terms of offensive design that he wasn't as included but even when he was on the field he was not very effective i think you know there's some numbers out there that he'd been called for more penalties than he had catches, like things like that. It was just a really, really poor season um, in, a, in a lot of ways. And I, I, I do feel bad for him, um, especially at the way that season ended to have opportunity literally slip through your fingers. Um, I mean, he was almost right there. I mean, six more inches and you think he probably catches that ball. Um, yeah. if, even if he extends his arms a little bit, maybe he catches the ball. So like, if you're him, you you're probably having that go through your head over and over and over again, and that must be a miserable place to be. Um, I'm hoping that you know he can take 
something from it and move into the offseason and try to, you know, have a, a better opportunity going into the next year. I don't know if that's going to be on the Ravens. Um, there might not be more opportunities for him on this team. I think they need to improve at that wide receiver position. And I'm not sure unless they really change completely offensive philosophies, what his role would be on, on the team moving forward. So I'm, I'm not sh- sure about that. There, there might be an opportunity for him next year. We'll have to wait and see, but I think it's unlikely that he's going to have any type of fourth season breakout. Right. I, I, I would agree with that. I think being a fourth year player, that's the, that's the place that you're, quote unquote, unexpected cuts come from. But at the end of camp, you're going to see fourth year players released because they don't have any more option value yeah. left. You don't, you're out of initial contract. With Prochet's big chance, honestly, is probably if Devin Duvernay can't go next year. Mm-hmm. And De- Devin Duvernay, um, you know, we don't, they've been kept under wraps. They've been very tight lipped about what the extent of his injury is. But if it's a, if it's a full Liz Frank injury suffered, you know, mid to late through this year, it could take him through the end of next year. So uh, that that in its own right is a is a very bad situation. In fact, they might not even mess if if he's expected to be gone through say ten weeks, they might not even mess with the hope that he'll be back. They might just IR him at the beginning of the year on a season ending IR basis, rather than a, than a potentially a designated return where they have to. Usually, they do have spots with the veterans they have on this roster to to, to do that kind of thing. But it, it's not a hundred percent sure that they would, and and it's uh, it makes it more difficult to to slip him onto the roster that way. So if, if that were to happen, then they need a return man. And, you know, they've, you know, is he ahead of Andy Isabella at this point in terms of. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Um, I mean, obviously he was the punt return man. Um, Isabella, I think will be probably a restricted free agent. Um, I think he's need to check that. um, I think he's going into his, fourth season potentially as well um and as someone who has gone through the waiver process i think that would put him as a restricted free agent i'm not 100 percent sure um but i don't i do think that he would not be on the roster for the ravens okay i'm I'm trying to get to there he is okay yeah he's a fourth year player you are correct so he's he's going to be a free agent uh this offseason i'm restricted okay yeah so yeah, I, I I don't know what what that situation will look like. Maybe if Duvernay is not ready to go, then that is an opportunity for Prochet to at least make the roster and and see if he can, you know, fight his way on into an offensive role beyond just being a return specialist. Yeah, tough year anyway. Anybody else you'd like to talk about here? Um, you know, I think real quick I'll talk about Gus Edwards um, because I think he's in an interesting position with this team. You know, he's. I think I've been with it. This is fifth year with the Ravens. Um, uh, fourth. No, wait, I'm sorry. You're right. Fifth because he was 18, 18 to 22. Yep. Yeah. And he missed last year with the ACL. So um, he's definitely been someone who is to some extent, I think underutilized. Um, he, he has been very effective when he's been on the field for the vast majority of the time that he's been with the Ravens. Um, underutilized in the sense that I think, you know, we saw some like a screenplay in this game, his first catch of the year. And he was, it was very effective with it. Um, we've seen him and in, in the past, you know, be useful in passing mm-hmm. game. And I think it's, he hasn't really been utilized in that way as much as possible. Um, he does have a considerable cap hit 
Um, and he will be in his last year of his contract next year with the Ravens. Um, so there is an opportunity for them to potentially move on if they wanted to. Um, they could also potentially, you know, add a couple more years to his contract if they wanted to. Um, so it's an interesting position. I, I tend to think he'll be back, but I don't think it's a lock for him to be back with the Ravens. That's where I am too. I think that, you know, basically with Lamar's contract needed to be decided in about the next month, that's what'll be the deciding factor here. If if they have to tag Lamar, I think they're looking to get money. And honestly, some good players are gonna have to get cut in this process. Calais yeah. Campbell may be one of them. Um it's really hard for them to imagine going on without Calais Campbell with this, how good he's, how well he's still playing. Uh, they, they really need him. And, and uh, in, in the case of, of Edwards, also another guy that is not overpriced at 4.4 million. If you get, you know, 600 yards out of him, he's, he's been pretty much the most consistent back in football the last five years, yeah. you know, his, his yards per carry 5.2, 5.3, 5.0, 5.0, 5.2 career. You know, I mean, he fits the Ravens system perfectly. You really notice when he's gone. You notice when he comes back in terms of what he can do for you. Yep. He helped put away games this year uh, with with big runs. And uh, and when the Ravens leaned on him, and he generally came through for them. So I, I'd love for him to be back, but I don't think it's a sure thing. Yeah, and I, I think the Ravens with him and Dobbins both going into a contract year, unless they want to you know, do some type of extension for one or the other. Um, also, Justice Hill, I should say, this mm-hmm. is his fourth year, so he's going to be a free agent. Um, obviously Kenyon Drake free agent, um, they might have to draft someone, um, you know, take one. They don't have as many draft picks this year, but, uh, a mid ground pick on a running back wouldn't surprise me in the, in this draft, um, coming up. Wouldn't, wouldn't shock me also wouldn't shock me if they went the UDFA route and, and found stylistic fits for what they want. Right. Hopefully find that guy, uh, as they did with Edwards. To, to find a guy who who could come in and do the job, Hill, I think they'll actually resign. I think he fits hmm. into their long term special teams core now. Yeah. you know he's one of their best special teams player right now. The other guy who fits into this mold, and it's it's just a question of do they really have room for him on the game day roster is Oliver, because yeah. if I don't think he's got any kind of great value to some other team, I think he's got a lot of value to the Ravens, and and uh, if they can find a way to sign him for two years at. 500,000 bonus to the vet minimum, say. I think that could be a good contract for both sides. And it, and, he, and he could continually sign a series of those and be in the mold of McClellan, Levine, you know, Stills, these guys who stayed around for a couple of years each as, as uh, you know, Levine for many years, obviously, McClellan for many years, uh, as, as a perpetual special teams veteran on the team. Yeah, that, that'll be interesting to see because – Obviously, he does fit what the Ravens want to do very well. Um, the Ravens do have other tight ends, so that that's mm-hmm. kind of going to be a question of does he think there is a market for him as someone who's instead of your number three or four option as a as a pass catcher at that tight end position, you could potentially be maybe a number two tight end on a team that wants to go with a lot of twelve personnel looks, um, be a primary blocker, but also get a little bit more opportunity in the passing game. He does have pretty decent athleticism um, yep. for someone who's also a good blocker. I, I could see him um, actually being a, a good value for a team that would better utilize his skill set. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think a team like the Chiefs, for example, if mm-hmm. if for whatever reason they, they're blocking tight end and they've had Bell in the past with Kelsey, uh, you know, he'd be a great fit with them. And, and you know, they, they, the Chiefs would pick up a great special teams player in the deal. It wouldn't surprise me at all if he went to a team like that. It could be the Patriots. The Browns have run a lot of multiple tight end stuff. I, I think they might look at him. 
they might look at him with a jaundiced eye because of the receiving skills, but you know, as an inline blocker, he'd, he'd be better than yeah. what they have right now. So I think that they'd be, uh, you know, they do very well with that. Yeah. And the LA chargers are another team that comes to mind. They don't really have a, a, I think both their tight ends are maybe, or I think Gerald Everett was like a one year deal for them. And mm-hmm. they have a Parham who's probably on his rookie deal. Um, but I think he's, um, I think Oliver might be a good fit depending on what they do at the offensive coordinator position there. Yeah. Yeah, there really are. There's there's a lot of lot of opportunity for blocking tight ends with 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 twelve really taking up an increased yeah. role in in league snaps. So, all right. Well, how about we move on? We do a few mailbag questions because there's a lot sure. of off, great offensive mailbag questions that I'd like to get to and uh, asked for them yesterday. Want to make sure we get to this tonight. And if you would go to hashtag film study mailbag in the thing, that'll that'll be great. Uh, I want to start off with some of the good ones from yesterday here. Um, no, we're not doing that one. This is this is a statement. Okay, if you want to make a statement, that's fine. <laughs> we, we I guess we'll air it. John says, what crime should Ravens fans have Greg Roman framed for to ensure he never calls another play here? I don't, I don't really like the question, but I'll just say if, if, if it's a statement that you want Greg Roman fired, I think you're going to get your your wish that he will not be, you know, they will not sign him to, to more contract. But, uh, but you know, it's, it's uh, uh, I hope people will, give Roman the respect he deserves for, for the time he he spent here. He, he really called an offense that worked very well for Lamar uh, for, for most of his time here. And, uh, and frankly, the Ravens would have been a lot worse off this year without him last year. I'm not so, not as sure, but, but this year in particular, they've been a lot, a lot worse off without him. Yeah. Um, I think that's, that's definitely true. And he's been, you know, he's done a lot of good things for the Ravens. Um, I, I, I think, I mean, obviously there's things have gone downhill in, in the past couple of years. And, and we've seen the type of offense that he wants to run potentially not have the ceiling that other offenses would maybe have, especially with a dynamic player under center, like Lamar Jackson. Um, I think there's more opportunity to go with different offensive philosophies. So I think, I think that's just, it's, it's come to that conclusion one way or the other. Yeah. I, I've got another one here from Karsten Evans. This is a couple of days ago. He said, I think the Ravens style of long drawn out drives may allow too little room for error. That's definitely true. You get behind the, 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 uh, on down a distance, uh, get behind schedule. That's, it's not a good place for the Ravens to be. Do you think the style of play may be unsustainable for the playoffs where mistakes are almost always bound to happen against good teams? Uh, sure. I actually think the Ravens did a pretty good job with, with, staying on schedule in this game against the Bengals. They were in a position to win it. They got down on the goal line. Um, but but I would basically agree that it, the, the better the defenses you play, the more likely it is you're going to get off schedule somehow with the way the Ravens uh, run their offense. What, what do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, I think they actually do a pretty good job of, of sustaining drives between the 20s, and their issue is really just the red zone. So if, if, if that's what you mean by that question, that there's no – like kind of like quick strike ability with his team, then I completely agree. You know, we've we've seen very rarely the explosive plays. The the Marcus Robinson touchdown, for instance, is a is a very rare event in in the Ravens offense. Um, especially you know with Tyler Huntley at quarterback. Um, earlier on in the season, we had a lot of explosive plays. Um, in in the passing game, um, when 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 especially when when Bateman was was still healthy and, and Duvernay was was given that role as the kind of number two receiver. Um, but I, I do tend to agree that 
things get more challenging when you get in the red zone and the efficiency in that area was, as we've talked about, is just miserable. And and that's something that is going to lead to difficulties in, in any game, much more so in the postseason against better teams. All right. Our favorite Marine Garnett West came with, why did it feel like we went away from every working game plan? It felt like multiple players had great confidence building moments and we worked away from them. This is definitely not the first time we've seen this. But I would agree and disagree with that as a statement. I think that the, the, the guy who this most fits is Dobbins. Yeah. He's not, not sticking with Dobbins the whole game because he's the one who certainly had, there was all kinds of reason for confidence on him and how he was used in the offense. I have a harder time figuring out who else that might mean given the, you know, herky jerky nature of, of some of the things the Ravens did offensively other than Dobbins. Yeah. I mean, I, I think you could maybe argue to try to get more balls to Mark Andrews who had some pretty good mm-hmm. plays in this game. Um, he, he probably wasn't as involved as, you might want him to be in a, in a game that was, you know, pretty close the entire time. And, and he's, he's your main playmaker on offense, at least in the passing game. So I, I think, you know, there might be a, more of an opportunity to kind of get him the ball, but, you know, overall, I, like, I, I think we talked about in the, in the first half of the pod, I think the, the game plan was, was pretty good. I think the play calling in general was pretty good. There were some, there were some issues in certain situations where the play calling was, was, questionable and, and you know, think there's execution issues as well um but but overall i think you know they they did a fairly good job of, of getting a lot of people involved and everybody kind of had their their moments where they were contributing right I, I i would agree with everything you said and by the way the next next question is kind of a comment uh it's from saul and he says uh i hope you'll emphasize that roman called a winning game under difficult circumstances that only failed because of this single execution mistake obviously he's referring to the goal line play um i i, I think by and large i do agree with that i think the, the only thing i have from a coaching stance is what we talked about earlier in this show which was the the, the the time management at the end of both halves was a little bit questionable in terms of of leaving enough time i understand why they did it in the second half i just don't completely agree with it yeah, I think I think the the end of the second half was was to me it was more was worse than that. It was, it was egregious to me. Um, and then and the end of the first half, you know, we talked about the sequencing of the plays. You had a timeout. You call it a screen play on the first down. You could have run the ball there. Um, I, I don't hate the screen play, but maybe that's a second down play. You you try running it on first down, but you know maybe you run the screen on first down so you can take the, the defense off guard. I, I get either way of thinking about it there. Um, that was an execution issue. I, I think, you know, there was another execution issue with the, the passing too. So like, I, I definitely think, and then getting back to the quarterback sneak, cause I think there was a, this was also involved with the quarterback sneak question or the quarterback sneak wasn't part of this, this question that I think that's, a, and I mentioned earlier, I think that's a good play call at, at on, on third mm-hmm. and one, you're on the one yard line. Like if the ball that plays executed properly, you know, you're not losing yards at the very least, you have an opportunity on fourth and goal from the one. Um, and either you decide to kick it, which, you know, you take the lead you kick it. Okay. Or you go for it. And you, and the, the, what can't happen is the extremely, extremely rare event that did happen. And that's the, that's the turnover and the return. Um, because even if you go for it on fourth down and you get stuffed at the one, you're then at the, you're, you have the, de- offense at the one yard line who's going to have a difficult time of getting out of that area and you know you have 
potential for safety. You have potential for for turnover and pick six the other way. You know, it's difficult to play from from the shadow of your own end zone. So that's why generally fourth and goal one is is a very positive go for it play decision because even if you don't convert the majority of the time you're going to be setting your defense up to be in a successful position and the very worst getting the ball back on a punt and mid round and field so you hope for that yeah you, yeah i mean obviously they can drive the ball down 99 yards but like the odds of that happening is, is low the odds of you mm-hmm. getting the ball back at the very least is, is fairly high and that's proven out over the course of the, those type of situations by the way, I, I do like it also in the particular situation because it had been a long drive to get down to that that point. And and not as long as some of the earlier drives in the game, but it had been a, still a fairly long drive. So it might have been about eight plays or so at that point. And when once you're up to that point, you're, some of your defensive linemen are kind of tired from being on the field, having to rush the passer, doing that. So if you're running those plays quickly, I think you got a chance to, to really wear on the tiredness of the opponent. But another question from Fest- Festivus. Maximus says the two guys behind Huntley on the goal line play indicating that you had the play is designed for him to go underneath. Yes. Rugby scrum. Absolutely correct. Uh, can't see a plausible reason for them. If the call is over the top, safe to say that. Absolutely. Uh, Huntley and, and Harbaugh alluded to this, but it's very clear. Obviously they completely gave away what they were trying to do on the play by the alignment of players and what essentially was a victory formation. If they were going to throw the ball, it would have been a complete fake. Uh, you know, they do have to assign man coverage to that on the outside, uh, as if the Ravens had they Ravens had a seven offensive linemen and probably two tight uh, tight ends. Otherwise, yeah, let me go back to that play. Let me go back to that play really quickly. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't know exactly how the, the the offense or defense was aligned, but, you know, the, the other thing that is possible is something I've seen the Philadelphia Eagles do a couple of times where they have everybody kind of condensed over the center position. And then you have like, instead of having the quarterback go for the sneak, they actually like sneak around the side where everybody kind of caves in. Um, and it's like a kind of a walk-in, um, or you could do some type of like handoff rollout boot type of situation. Um, we saw Dak Prescott do that, um, in the, in the the Cowboys, uh, bucks game and it was wide open. It's very often a wide open fake if, if you execute it properly. All right. Outstanding stuff. We talked Minion Hunter had a question about the Lind- Linderbaum snaps. I think we kind of addressed that during the show, but thanks for the question. Um, okay. This is another one. Uh, do you have any thoughts on the third down play? This is from Joel Harmon. Do you have any, any thoughts on the third down play where they handed off to Mark Andrews? Have hated they done this it. before? Yeah, I hated it too. I, I, out of the backfield. I don't have a problem with him, by the way, taking a snap yeah. because we've seen him f- also pitch it to Lamar in such situations. Uh, but I really didn't like that at all. Yeah, that was the one play that I was like, "What on earth? Is, or what, why are you doing that?" That was, a, to my in my opinion, a, a very bad play call. Um, because one, you have a player who's not really used to trying to like identify the lane or the hole or the gap and and find it and hit it like a running back would. So, I, I guess you're trying to like do something creative and use someone who has a bigger body. You can maybe just pick up a couple of yards by falling forward, but. I think that in no way is that going to be a worse play if you just give it to Gus Edwards. Uh, that, that, that didn't make any sense to me at all. Right. All right. That's that's pretty much the end of the mailbag. I think we answered pretty thoroughly. I really appreciate the very high-level questions all year, not just for this game, but especially for this game. It seemed like they're, they're at a very good level. Gabe, always great to talk football with you. Thanks for taking two hours and 15 minutes, two hours and 18 minutes out of your uh, – 
Tuesday night to do this. Really appreciate it and, and uh, always a pleasure. Yeah, Ken, thanks for having me. Um, it's, you know, it's been a fun time coming on the, on the podcast this year. So hopefully we'll have some opportunities in the offseason to chat about Ravens and, and next year as, as well. All right. Uh, other folks out there. Well, first of all, I, I'm sorry. He's at Gabe Fergie on Twitter. He, he has the Ravens Sit Room podcast, Ravens Situation Room podcast. It's called The Situation Room podcast. Yeah. Uh, on uh, it's on, available on filmstudybaltimore.com and all your podcast networks please give that a listen it's out it's very well done it's with two of our favorite guests on this show jordan co and gabe ferguson uh do it together and they're both terrific and uh very smart people a lot of fun jordan i i, I happen to hang out with at the at the game uh at cincinnati it, it uh, softened the blow a lot in terms of what was going on and uh you know we, we were out in las vegas to to meet with you guys for the for the for the first game last year that was a lot of fun too yeah, definitely. Um, getting together to you know watch games in person with with some people that you normally get to only interact with um, virtually is, is definitely always a pleasure. All right, other folks out there, if you'd like to do a film study short, please uh, DM me. They're always open, and I'm doing that one that one play this off season. So if you got one play from Ravens history, we'll talk about that. A much shorter format than I'm used to doing, maybe. 15 minutes uh, each episode, try and give uh, people who are on have a shorter commute, another option to listen to on their podcasts. And uh, I, I do notice myself gravitating towards three minute videos on the Ukraine as opposed to 15 minute videos. And, and so I, I, I've got to take a lesson from that and really try and provide some shorter content. So uh, I, I will get back to you right away. I just announced it today and had 10 scheduled already. So uh, I, 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 it's not like all the great plays are going, but please hit me up quickly. I'll, I'll get you on the schedule. Gabe, thanks again for coming on. Thanks for having me, Ken. We'll talk to you next time on Film Study. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.